Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Welcome to another exciting episode of SFP Now. Uh, so exciting that my uh, little cat, Pepper, is uh, climbing on over me because she can't contain herself. Um, we've got a great show lined up today. Um, we've got um, an interview with um, Nine producer and creative producer um, David Richardson from Big Finish, who's going to be talking with us about... Um, his uh, new series of HG Wells releases that, are, that, that that have started being released. So, you know, without further ado, here, here's the interview right now. We're going to bring you David Richards, and then we're going to go on to uh, the television uh, discussion with uh, Raisa. So, without further ado, here's our interview. <laughs> Welcome to another uh, interview here. Uh, today we have uh, David Richardson, um, a producer and uh, and um, you know writer over at Big Finish Audio. How are you doing, David? I'm doing very well. Hi, you know you doing? I'm I'm good. I'm good. Um, I just want to you know start off by first saying that uh, we here at Sci-Fi Pulse we absolutely love the stuff that Big Finish put out, and um, you know we we're huge supporters of you guys. So. You know, oh, that's great! That's, that's so lovely to hear. Thank you. you know, so I can, um, and we're also big, big fans of the classic range here as well. So right, there's, so. there's lots to choose from. Something oh, for everybody. <laughs> there, there absolutely is. Um, I guess the first question I, I have have for you um, is: How did you actually become involved with Big Finish Audio? Uh, you know, I was really, really lucky. Um, I was basically offered the job by. Nick Briggs. I, I knew Nick Briggs back in the 1980s um, through mutual friends. I mean, we didn't know each other very, very well, um, but, but, you know, our paths had crossed. And I was working for a publishing company. Um, and I'd been there, I think I'd been there for about 13 years or something. And uh, just one day, Nick got in touch and just said they were looking for a line producer at Big Finish. And uh, would I be interested in the job? Um, I think one of the reasons they thought of me was um, because, partly because actually because before I'd worked in publishing, I'd worked at the BBC for 10 years at Television Centre. And my job there was doing organising jobs in different departments. I'd worked in costume, in makeup, in um, cameras and lighting. And my job was to organise people and schedules. 
Um, and I think that was the that was the skill set that they wanted for the line producer at Big Finish. And um, I'd have to say that it was a, a was a very compatible um, thing for me to take on. Actually, it, it, it has worked out very well. So it's sort of logistics. Um, the line producer's job is logistics. Yeah, I mean, basically, um, but my my line producer job involves um, running the schedule. So um, I'm basically in charge of everything going through the system from now until I mean the, at the moment we're planning up until about 2021, 2022. Um, and there's, there's I mean there's a lot happening. I mean over the next 12 months alone, I think we've got something like 250 hours of original drama mm-hmm. being made. So it, it, it's a very very busy now. It's, it's got much busier than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that that's that's the the core of my job, but on top of that, I'm creative producer on a number of different ranges. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's um, that's one thing I've noticed about uh, about Big Finish uh, in recent years. You know, you've, you've you've now got the new Doctor Who range. Um, you know, great in bringing stuff such as Unit and um, and um, you know the the uh, the recent uh, War Doctor, uh, which mm. so like it's sad. You know, it's sad that it's now ending. Uh, yeah. sadder still yeah. uh, in light of, uh, of, of 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 what's recently happened. Yeah. Um, and I noticed you've also, you know, you, you're putting out more classic range stuff. You know, Sherma Combs and and other titles. Um, um, who, who is it that goes after the different titles, the the different uh, licenses, if you will? Um, how does that? Well, work? It, 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 it's kind of. I guess it's not one person. I mean, we we we're very interactive at Big Finish, although we don't all work within the same room. I mean, we're all spread all over the country, working in different places. Generally, I mean, we do have a production office which has the corporate production office team there, but um, a lot of us are spread out. And you know, we talk a lot via email or on phone or Skype or whatever. Um, and I think we we just throw ideas out there. We're constantly thinking of things that we can do. So um, I will be someone who will go after some licenses. Nick goes after some licenses. Um, Jason goes. You know, it, it depends which of us says, "Yeah, I'll take that. I'll, I'll go for it." So, say with the Avengers, for example, um, that came out of a meeting about something completely different. Actually, it wasn't about the Avengers with Studio Canal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the three of us were there, so you know it was something we all dealt with together. But I, I guess myself, um, Jason, and Nick, the two executive producers, are sort of like the the main team who deal with the licensing. Mm-hmm. Um, as as uh, in your role as a creative uh, producer, what is it you look for that 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 you think makes a good story? Um, that's a good question. I, I guess. It has to be something that I feel inspired by, something that I'm I'm in love with that I think other people will tune into as well. And I think that quite often we're looking to make things um, in the style of which they were originally made on television. So, for example, if we're doing Survivors, we try and make it in the style of the best of Survivors on television. If we're making the Avengers, we try and make it, we try and grab that very special tone um, that that really defined the Avengers on TV. Um, And we're we're all working towards that. You know, myself, the director, Ken Bentley or Lise Bowerman, um, the writers, we're we're all, we've all got it in our DNA, actually. We all, 
we all sort of absorb all these shows and just try and recreate it as truthfully and um, authentically as possible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that this kind of leads on to the, um, onto the next question. Um, your latest work is actually seeing you oversee the production of um, the H.G. Wells audio adaptations, the first of which, uh, The Invisible Man, um, yeah. has recently been released. Um, I listened to it yesterday and really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was, oh, it was just fantastic work. It was like, um, you know, some great acting performances. And um, Raisa will actually be posting her review pretty soon um, right. of it. So that, that'll be going up soon. And we'll probably, uh, t- you know, have that all over Twitter and uh, and, and link big finishing on, on that. Um, but, um, I guess what I want, want to know is how, how did that, come about well, I think we've been talking for some time about just doing a an adaptation of hg wells's novel of war of the worlds um and that, that had been bubbling for a while um and then the more we thought about it the more we we thought well actually it would be nice to do a run of them it would be nice to do say half a dozen um and, and get really stellar casts um, and, and do them lavishly and beautifully, and and so so we we actually we, we did we, we we put a lot of time into it. We put a lot of love into it, um, and we managed to get really great names. Um, and the, I'm really really proud of the, all of them actually so far that we we've recorded the, the first four, um, and they just sound beautiful. Mm-hmm. They 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 do indeed. I mean the uh, the quality of the voice acting work, the soundtrack. Um, the 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 incidental sort of like sound effects, you know, it it it, it just all like uh, you know, I, I listened last night and like I do with most of your audio productions, um, I'd say sort of nine times out of ten, I'm actually fully transported in into those worlds. Yeah, um, I have to say actually, I mean, we we have these incredible unsung heroes working for us who are the sound designers and the musicians, um, and that they. They really, they don't get as much um, attention as they deserve, actually, because I think they're always busy. They're always working on their own on these productions and they're immersed in them um, for months on end. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they tend not to be at the sort of forefront of the publicity or, you know, they, they really, I think they really do deserve recognition for what they create for us at Big Finish because their work is immaculate, actually. I mean, for me personally, I've said this before, it's actually kind of magic because I don't understand quite how they do it because I'm not a sound designer. Um, so for me to work on the productions, deliver them to studio and then deliver the masters to the sound designers and hear what comes back, um, it's absolutely stunning, um, and you know I've got, I've got the the hugest amount of respect for every single one of these guys and girls. They're you know they're just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, as as a musician myself, um, you know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm I'm guessing you're aware that there's a lot of there's a lot of hours spent in in padded rooms. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I mean, you know, we're not talking hours. We're talking we are talking months. Um, I mean, to do a a main range Doctor Who release is probably about three months' work mm-hmm. for a the sound designer to, mm-hmm. to, to do it. You know, it's, it's it's intense and you know hugely demanding. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's all there in the audio. You know, every every, every little detail. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. 
What would you say has been the uh, most challenging aspect of, of about doing these adaptations? Um, what's been most challenging? I think the casting was hard, actually. Um, it was hard trying to trying to find people who we who we would really have a, you know to just be huge stars who we could get who we could find and um you know to find somebody like John Hurt to play the invisible man I still can't quite believe we had John Hurt play the invisible man I mean it's it's you know it's crazy and it was it was an absolute joy just to sit there in studio and and listen to him and spend time with him actually i mean he he, he is remark he, he was a remarkable actor um but a remarkable human being as well you know it's um it, it's, i think what's amazing about him is that um for me he's this huge movie star this, this incredible talent who's been there all through my life and yet to meet him which i was really scared about doing actually i was really scared about producing his stuff but to, to spend time with him he was just such a very accessible accommodating ordinary man who just worked really hard he just had this great work ethic and this incredible talent um so it was, it was just an utter privilege mm-hmm. yeah i mean i i've seen interviews uh, with him i've never actually had the honor of meeting him but you know even when you watch him um, being interviewed or listen to him being interviewed, um, he kind of strikes you as an incredibly humble individual. You know, he's, he's yeah. you know, yeah. he, he does, doesn't rest on his laurels. He doesn't treat people badly at all. He's in, incredibly humble. Yeah. Well, what was really lovely actually was that all through recording the War Doctor and the Invisible Man, um, we had a lot of actors who'd asked if they could be in these productions because it was their lifelong ambition to work with him. Um, and I managed to make that happen for a lot of them, actually. I, it was, you know, just be able to grant a little wish to all these people was lovely. Um, and they, you know, they, they wanted to spend time with him and chat with him. And some asked if they could have a photo with him. Um, and he was really happy to do that. You know, he, he, he would always have a photo taken with an actor, always sit and talk to them about things he'd done. Uh, but also always he was interested in other people as well. You know, he, he was interested and interesting um, so it, it, yeah, it was. I, I can't speak highly enough of him. Actually, he was lovely. Mm-hmm. Was the role of Griffin? Was the role of Griffin? Sorry, from from Invisible Man. Was that was that always the role that you that that you guys envisaged uh, John Hurt playing, or did you have other roles in mind for him as well? Uh, well, in, in the series, yeah. Um, it, he wasn't. He well, actually, when we wrote it, we didn't have anybody in mind. We didn't really look at casting until we got closer to the studio. Um, but it was one of those conversations that we have with each other. You know, wouldn't it be amazing to get John Hurt? Um, and it, you know, it just came off. And that was something that happened time and again with these productions. You know, I, I can't believe at Big Finish that we have joy of working with somebody like Nicola Walker. Mm-hmm. who's one of the busiest, most successful actors in this country. Um, but we're lucky in that she loves Big Finish. It's really important to her to be, keep coming back and doing them. So we got her for The Shape of Things to Come with Sam Troughton. And, you know, again, that's a, another remarkable production, I think. I mean, the quality of the performances in that is superb. Mm-hmm. 
Also, the uh, shape of things to come is one of the uh, is one one of the H.G. Wells stories that's actually being the least adapted. Yeah, um, and it's very hard to adapt as well. Actually, I mean, we did we did scratch our heads for a while and think, you know, can we actually do this? Because it doesn't lend itself um, very easily to being done as a full cast drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to credit Guy Adams, the writer who came up with a brilliant idea for providing a thread through um, through Wells's original story that would actually give it more cohesion. Um, and uh, I, I think what we've got is actually... It, 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 I'll tell you what was really interesting about it was we recorded it, uh, I think it was two days after the um, elections in America... And there were just elements in the shape of things to come that mirrored but, it, <laughs> but that mirrored what was happening in real life. Actually, it was it was it was a really strange day, couple of days recording it because it, there were just elements in Wells's text that was so prophetic about what was happening in the world that um, you know we were just sitting there pinching ourselves a bit. Yeah, it it is a it is also one of one of Wells's scarier stories. <laughs> yeah, as in yeah, you know the. I mean, I think he I think he wrote that one in the uh, in the nineteen thirties before the Second World War broke out. Yeah, and you know, and you know, he even predicted that. But given what was happening in the mid thirties, um, it, it was kind of easy to see that happening. I guess you know, with the uh, you know, with the whole debacle of the Berlin Olympics and. Um, and uh, you know Hitler's, um, you know, penchant for racial purity and and all that. It was yeah. kind of it was kind of obvious that that something was something big was going to kick off. I guess. Yeah. yeah. I think another thing that was important in adapting all these productions was that it's easy to forget how influential H.G. Wells has been on the whole genre. You know, would would we have Doctor Who without the Time Machine? You know, the, the, would we have the Daleks without War of the Worlds? There's, there's just so many things within his stories that defined the whole genre um, across everything. Um, and to actually go back to these stories, which were groundbreaking at the time and were the bare basics of science fiction, um, it's, you know, it's been extraordinary. It's, it's been wonderful to actually give them new life again. Mm. Yeah, I mean, what I enjoy about uh, H.G. Wells' stories, and um, to a certain to a certain extent, the you know the Jules Verne uh, ones, was the um, not just the uh, not just the technology and 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 um, and and the, the the predictiveness of them, but also the social commentary. Yeah, you know, Wells specifically was you know a major social commentator of of his time, um, as as we all know. Sort of thing, but it was also a big womanizer as well. <laughs> you know. I have to admit, some of the technology is very quaint. I mean, there's you know the the, the first men in the moon. That the, the way that the um, capsule travels to the moon is through this anti gravity paint that they paint on the outside of the of the capsule. And, you know, it, it, it's very sweet and very innocent and and lovely, um, but in the best possible way. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. it's it's endearing and captivating. Yeah, and um, I'm just waiting for somebody to come up with some anti-gravity paint. That'd be, you know, that's got to happen sometime. <laughs> and yeah, I'd buy it. 
Um, you know, maybe stop my cat from scratching the wallpaper. But <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Oh, okay. Um, I've noticed uh, that Nicholas Briggs is hang- handling uh, War of the Worlds, um, and um, I'm not digging for spoilers here, but I'm just wondering: is this going to be a straight up, da- straight up adaptation? Um, or, or the, will, will there be actually any playful nods to something like the famed Arson Wells production that scared the crap out of people? I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't quite know what Nick's doing with War of the Worlds yet because he hasn't delivered the script. It's, it's still quite early days on that one. And actually, we're not calling it War of the Worlds. We're calling it um, The Martian Invasion of Earth um, because we, we, we want it to be... Uh, not to be confused with anything else that might be on CD called War of the World, so uh, it will it will have its own uh, distinctive title. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, we, we, as I say, we've recorded the first four, but um, the the time machine is written, but we haven't recorded it yet. And War of the Worlds, the script hasn't been delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that one, but the one I'm really looking forward to is the Island of Doctor Maru uh, because uh, um, I don't think. Any production of that has actually done that story justice yet, you know. No, I, I think we have. I'm, I'm really, really um, confident in that one. I know Ken Bentley, when he adapted it, was really, really uh, careful to, and really, really sure that he wanted to make it as authentic as possible to the original work. So um, I, I think you're in for a treat. I think I think it does do that exactly mm-hmm. um we're, we're huge fans here as i was saying before of the uh, of the classics range that big finish does so i'm, I'm just wondering uh, if we'll likely see other writers such as jules verne or robert Louis stevenson uh have some of their work adapted um i mean i'd love a take on Twenty Thousand geeks under the sea our journey to the center of the earth even ah, so would i yeah i mean I, i'd love to see that happen we don't have any plans as yet um, there are there are some other classics actually being under got underway actually you will see some more um, but uh, he did so we, we don't have any Jules Verne ones planned yet but I mean it would that'd be fantastic I'd love to mm-hmm. I mean you know there's lots of I mean even the uh, even even the Tarzan stories uh, John Carter stories yeah I mean like it's that. just there's so much choice. There's, you know, there's an array of things that we we could do. You know, they're absolutely rich pickings. I guess we have to consider um, what's been done a lot before to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what I worry about doing the H.G. Wells story would be that a lot of other people would be doing them as well. But actually, I'll, I'm quite surprised that The Invisible Man has come out and there aren't a lot of other people who've done it at this time. So, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps, perhaps we're worrying unnecessarily about that. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see the Tarzan stories done properly because in the uh, in the books they they had him going into parallel worlds and fighting dinosaurs and, and stuff yeah. like that, and they've never done that in the films or, yeah. or the TV shows. A, so. <laughs> it's a lovely idea. I mean, after we have we have to watch. We're constantly looking at what we're producing and how how much the the schedule can accommodate all these things happening. So that's what stops us from doing too much at once i think mm-hmm. um but you know we're very lucky in that we've got a very broad team of very good people at big finish and that's what allows us to to make such a large amount of material 
As a producer um, at Big Finish, um, are there any specific properties that you that you personally like to take on? Ooh, what would I like to do? Well, quite. I don't know. I see that the really lucky thing is I've been able to take on most things that I've really wanted to do, um, just because you know, Jason and Nick have really trusted me to go out and get them and do them. So. Things like Survivors and the Omega Factor and the Avengers were all things that were dream projects for me. Um, in terms of things we haven't made, I mean, I, I, you know, it's quite left field, but I'd love, I'd love to do something like, say, Secret Army, that, that BBC wartime series from the 70s, which I absolutely loved. But mm-hmm. you know, whether we ever will, I don't know. It's not something we've ever discussed, but... Uh, you know, it's something I'd certainly love to see done. Yeah, you got Private Shulks. Um, yeah. Danger USB. I mean, I remember growing yeah. up with those. Um, my dad used to, you know, sit us all down. We'd watch all those. Yeah. Um, the, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we have to we have to make sure that there will be an audience there for these things. You know, will something that was made 30 years ago always find an audience now? Um I, I was really pleased with the success of the Omega Factor, actually, because that was a that was a series that we I, I guess we were a little unsure about, just because it didn't have a fan club, it didn't have a fan following, although it was something that was very good and we all remembered it very fondly. Um, and it was really nice for that actually to do very well and also get a BBC Audio Drama nomination as well. Um, it, it did that really was a great validation of what. You know what we'd hoped would happen with that. Mm-hmm. Was was the Omega fact? I mean, I I don't um, actually remember it, and I've not really had the benefit of listening in you know to 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 the uh, drama. But did it? Was it very short lived on the BBC? It only had yeah, it, two it only lasted ten episodes. Actually, they they wanted it to last longer, um, but it was released at a time. It was shown at a time when Mary Whitehouse and the viewers and the listeners' association. Um, had a very strong influence on the BBC. Um, you know, they were they were the association, and Mary Whitehouse was the person who got um, a lot of the horror content in Doctor Who um, toned down. Mm-hmm. And she she was really she really had a strong um, hatred of the Omega Factor. She thought it was too too horrific for primetime television. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the things that um, that stopped it coming back. I've got very vague memories of it. Was Louise Jameson in it? Louise Jameson was in it, yeah. She was one of the two leads, and James Hazeldean was the other. And, of course, Louise has come back and plays the same character in the audios. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out now. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> I recommend going, it. It's great. I'm, I'm going to have to check it out, but I'm also going to have to dig around and see if we can find a series on DVD. <laughs> you can. This is out there, I promise you. <laughs> um, anyway, I'd just like to thank you very much for your time, David. It's been great speaking to you. And uh, I just, just want to sort of like uh, wish you the very best with the HG Wells uh, range. I hope I hope it sells absolutely loads. Thank you very much. Um, it's been been really great. Great, thanks for good talking to you. Thanks a lot. Here at SFP now, I think we're pretty sure we um, got our priority straight. And 
I'd like to thank uh, David Richards for actually talking to us um, about Big Finish and the uh, all, all the ins and outs of the HG Wells um, series that he's doing. And now I'm going to bring Raisa on. How you doing, Raisa? I'm doing fine, thanks. I think it's probably best to maybe kick things off with um, with our thoughts on the Invisible Man. I'll start. Um, I've got to be quite honest with you, Reese, to be honest. I thought it just totally sucked. I actually liked it, but then I've read the book. Well, so did I. I was just sort of like yanking your chain. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't tell um, Yeah, I, I absolutely thought it was fantastic. I thought... Um, you know, I thought John Hurt was absolutely brilliant in the role, role of Griffin. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, um, here's the thing. In the book, Griffin actually is extremely young. He dies at 30. So they they aged him up uh, to allow for John Hurt to play him properly. I, I, I knew that uh, myself, that Griffin was 30. But by, by the same token, you don't really need to age him up. You can sort of like, uh, you can kind of... Uh, creatively stretch it so the whole process of becoming invisible and 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 whatnot um has such a physical strain on him that he that that he ages prematurely yes yes i yeah and i and i, I really appreciated the, the fact the the, the fact that he was an older actor lent uh, gravitas to the situation that isn't otherwise communicated in hg wells text because one of the things with hg wells is that he he wrote thesis novels. Um, characterization for characterization's sake was not necessarily something he was aiming for. Mm-hmm. I also liked how, how the, the style of in which it was narrated. Yes, that because uh, the book is in third person, and they changed it so that the the two main characters who interact with Griffin the most are the ones who take turns narrating it. And actually, it, it deepens it considerably. It's a real improvement. It did. I mean, it's sort of, it was kind of like... Uh, it was kind of like the, the forensically going over uh, the events as they happened. It's kind of like a crime watch reconstruction in that sort of way. Yes. Um, um, and, and, it led, and it led to beefing up the ending because that's not how the book ends. Mm-hmm. Um, so the book ends with Marvel uh, secretly opening up the journals uh, uh, once everyone's left. But there's no big confrontation. There's no gunplay. Nobody dies. There's no Invisible Man the Second. None of that. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's so like, um, it, it, it is a classic series, and the, the way that Big Finish did it, um, put me in mind of um, of the classic, you know, the BBC actually uh, did did um, an adaptation of The Invisible Man. Um, I seem to recall back in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, I can't remember who played the role now, but because it's so far back, but I do remember, you know, watching that and enjoying it. But you know, it's it's also uh, it's an interesting you know when when you look at the the, the text that Big Finish has done by setting it in the same period as as of when Wells wrote it to be in uh, versus when you sort of like uh, look at it up against uh, David McAdams' Invisible Man from the seventies and the uh, and of course the uh, remake of the early two thousands and yeah. and, and yeah, things I mean, like Congo Man. Those those have have value, but 
if you're going to adapt period literature, you have to acknowledge the period. Uh -huh. Otherwise, you lose you you lose half the context right there. Mm. I actually think it's actually more of a frightening story if you keep it in its original period. It um, is. It because is. if you if you look in if you bring it forward in time to say the two thousands or even nineteen nineties or even the seventies when 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 the David McCannum series was done, these 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 technologies available in those time periods that uh, can go some considerable way. To counteracting uh, Griffin's invisibility, yes, which kind yes, of, yes, kind of evens the scale. Where if you set it in the original time period, like Big Finish has, um, which I'm really grateful for, there's there's nothing nothing technology orientated to compare. No, you're kind of no. relying on Griffin leaving footsteps behind or or being shot and bleeding or whatever yes. in order to track him down. Yes. Well, you know, it's 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 just really, really well done. I thought uh, Dan Starkey was fantastic in it. He he was he was marvelous. Um, they his character was actually a composite. They they eliminated uh, the landlady's husband from the novel. They thought it was more effective to make her a widow with a lover, and I actually think that was more effective as a choice because uh, the the husband in the book is kind of a non-entity. I, mean, I thought it was quite funny the 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 part in the uh, in the first hour of it where Dan Starkey's character is actually loitering around the room, you know, spending much longer on repairing the clock than than he needs to, and yes. and, and Griffin realizes this and and pulls him up on it. Yes, and that's direct from the book. Um, I also like that they they had three female roles in addition to the landlady because in the book the landlady is the only female role. Mm -hmm. So they added they added three more uh, to flush it out. Uh, they're going to have to do even more of that with uh, with the first men in the moon. Um, I think that's going to be a, that's going to be an issue throughout the series because H.G. Wells just did not include many women in these stories, and it's it's not just him. It's it's a period thing. Um, half the population was largely uh, ignored in, in a lot of this period literature. Not all of it, but a mm -hmm. lot of it. It's kind of ironic in a way as well because uh, H.G. Wells was such an advocate for women's rights and feminism back, yeah. back in the day. And uh, he was also a serial womanizer, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know sort of like, um, you know, he had a woman uh, every time he had a bowl of cocoa pops. But <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's... Uh, but I, uh, but it's, it's, it's kind of ironic that there's not... Not many women characters in in his stories. Yeah, um, yeah, they're, they're there, but they're but they're they're alluded to. They're in the background, or the, or lucky, but they get maybe like three lines of dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, the, the the landlady in um, in a, the Invisible Man is is one of his uh, more developed female characters. Because um, mm -hmm. he you know he he didn't he didn't put. He, he tried to be Dickensian sometimes, but he didn't always get there in terms of the character development. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite looking forward to First Man on the Moon, but I'm also looking forward to seeing how they managed to adapt um, things to come. Because things to come, out of all of Wells' stuff, is probably the least adapted uh, thing that he's ever done. Um, you know, they, they've, they've adapted uh, The Island of Dr. Maru, you know, a time memoriam, and never got it right a single time. Um, they, um, they did, I stumbled across a BBC radio adaptation um, a few months ago, actually, of Things to Come, uh, that was pretty spot on. 
So this should be interesting. Well, H.G. Wells um, was spying out responsible for the film adaptation that they did, uh, mm. which was just okay. sort of, he basically wrote the, he was involved in that. And film adaptation, it, it's sort of like, uh, it's weird because it's, it's, it's not so much film as it is a series of stills and narration and, mm. and a few few scenes sort of like played out sort of thing. Um, I mean, I, I remember seeing it when I was a kid and being, being utterly, you know, I was sort of like uh, engrossed in it, but at, at the same time, I was quite frightened about it as well because considering it was made before the outbreak of the Second World War, yes, it's sort of... <laughs> It's freaky. It's, it's way it's, freaky. It's, it's way freaky. It's really freaky. Um, you know, and I'm quite looking forward to that. I think there has been an adaptation of The First Men on the Moon. There have been several of that one. Yeah, and um, I'm doing my best to as to uh, to refamiliarize myself with these as audiobooks before the uh, adaptations come out. Because uh, so, I don't, I don't have time to physically reread these, but as audiobooks, they're they're going along fairly well. And so, prior to each one, I'm going to try and and uh, and do them as audiobooks. I just I just finished uh, First Men in the Moon a few days ago. That one comes out in March, so I'm going to be very curious to see how they. Uh, well, Nicholas, do... Nicholas Briggs is writing the War of the Worlds one. Yes, I'll be very curious to see how they do that one, um, especially since there are other adaptations of War of the Worlds that are that are equally famous with source material yeah. in themselves. But what what would be fun to that, for that one is if they could somehow tie it back to that Doctor Who um, story that they did, which was kind of like meta for Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. Oh, yes. I, I, um, I, I, it was, that one was one of the first big finished ones that I, I ever bought, and I adore it. Yeah, and Mark Gaddis, Mark Gatiss wrote it. I, I I know. I mean, I actually um, I actually purchased that on your recommendation and listened to it and thought it was absolutely it's, fantastic. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's just really well done. <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be kind of fun to actually. It, it'd be funny if uh, Nick Briggs was able to tie some of that in. Yes, I, I doubt, I doubt yeah. he would, but it'd be it'd be a fun thing to do. Yes, I think probably there'll be some. There'll be some expositional dialogue, meta dialogue, acknowledging the, uh, the possibility of a you know, of uh, of um, the aliens using radio waves or something to acknowledge the thirty eight. But uh, short of that, they'll probably stick pretty close to the book. Yeah, I mean, talking about War of the Worlds, I actually we watched uh, War of the Worlds Goliath the other day. Oh, that's good. That's um, an awesome one. Oh, that was you know, it's just an awesome animation sort of thing, and. Uh, you know, for anyone listening, I, I fully endorse you go out and um, rent or buy War of the Worlds Goliath. It's got an incredible voice cast in it, and it's um, and it's a, a really fun sequel to the original War of the Worlds story. Yeah, they put real effort into it. You know, they, they did. They, they put real effort into it, and they tied back with the with the original story perfectly. It was sort of like mm. it, was seam, it was seamless. And, you know, here's the thing. That thing came out now, came out, what, two, three years ago now? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. I was actually aware of it back in 2008. That was when they started working on it. And, you know, it was. I was back and forth with the, uh, with the creators of it um, from, you know, between 2008 through 2009, right up to 2012, I think it was. Mm. Um, at which point, they actually interviewed two of the creators of it, two of the people involved in it. And and it didn't come out until two years after that interview went, went, went on, the, uh, on the podcast. Mm. So, okay. 
um, it just goes to show how much how much work and development goes into these sort of things. Mm. You know, and because I, I, I pretty much followed that right from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when when I was talking to a when I was talking to David Richards, he he actually mentioned that he's actually one of the main people that's actually responsible for uh, you know scheduling the release dates for for Big Finish. And he said that they, they've actually got a schedule at the moment that's leading up to 2020. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that tells you tells you quite a lot, doesn't it? How, how far yes. ahead they plan, sort of yeah. thing. Um, but, yeah, you know, so, like, um, I, I'd, I'd recommend, you know, people that have not, you know, got it, listen to The New Invisible Man. It's well worth it. It's well worth it. It's beautiful. It doesn't suck, like I said at the beginning. I was just being very, very dry to uh, take take Easter off guard. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I will say, though, that um, it's it's not really a spoiler to say that the Invisible Man dies at the end. And given the context, his death scene was very hard. Um, I didn't I didn't acknowledge it in the review because I I, uh, it was I was very wistful over it. But the death scene is very hard. I, I felt the same way. I mean, you know, it was hard enough losing losing Sir John Hurt, the actor. Yeah. Um, but it's it's brought even more home by the way it's played out in the audio. Um, you know, the, the the not just the fact that he dies, but the way that he dies. Yeah, he di- he dies the way he dies in the book. But the thing in the book is he didn't get he didn't get dialogue. He he, did, he didn't he he wasn't cognizant enough to actually cry for mercy. And stuff like that, and so they they gave that final dialogue to John Hurt because he's John Hurt, and in in context, it's just it's very hard. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just so like we just lost an awesome actor, ring. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, so like, uh, I mean, we've lost some awesome people back in 2016, but John Hurt, uh, he's kind of like to the acting world what Bowie and Prince was to the music world. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like, he's just uh, an incredibly humble guy. Um, I never actually had the pleasure of meeting him or interviewing him, obviously. Uh-huh. Uh, well, you did. You you didn't either. But you know, whenever you watched him interviewed or you listened to him on the um, on the big finish extras and and whatever, he he always came across as an incredibly humble, engaging, warm human being. Yeah, and uh, in my review, I, I'm just as a, a personal note, I made sure to thank Big Finish for basically providing John Hurt with a, a a home for those last couple of years and giving him. You know, a context. He was obviously very happy doing something that he loved with kindred spirits, and and the the, the product showed, and it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And he, he 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 knocked it out of the park as a war doctor as well. I mean, I've been listening to the uh, the final um, series of War Doctor. I've gotten past episode two. I'm moving on to episode three now, and mm. it is awesome. It is absolutely it is. awesome. You know, it's also awesome to have Lena back. Yes, even though and, um, she's now kind of like pre-cognitive, got precognitive sort of powers. Yeah, they they they're basically expanding on some ideas they explored in the original series, but they just didn't do it in depth in the original series. But she had sort of, sort of uh, latent uh, empath- empathetic abilities mm-hmm. and uh, and and intuition tied to the fact that she was a savage, and uh, and they they're really are really playing with it. 
But yeah, um, that one story where you get John Hurt and Louise Jameson in the same space really, really ties the uh, the old series and the uh, and the modern series together wonderfully well. Mm-hmm. And these are excellent actors who just put everything out there. They don't they don't leave anything in the recording studio. There you go. Is that the third episode where where it's all John Hurt and Louise Jameson? No, that's the second. Ah, uh, right. Third, it's the one it's I just listened to. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they 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 did have a lot of scenes together in the second. I was just trying to establish whether there was another 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 episode where they had that much time together. Because so like there's quite a lot of uh, uh Istra as well. Yes, um, bless Jacqueline Pierce. She actually came back. I think she she was one of those actresses who uh, who semi retired, and she came back to record with John Hurt because they were actually very very good personal friends, mm-hmm. long standing personal friends. And she came back to record with him yeah. as a as a friend. And, you know, throughout the entire War Doctor series, I'm not just talking this one that's just come out, but uh, all four series, um, I've absolutely loved the uh, the banter back and forth between Jacqueline Pierce and John Hurt as a Doctor and, and Alistair. I thought, I just think it's just been brilliant throughout. It, it's it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful, and uh, the it's 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 top notch writing. It's top notch acting. Everybody's put you know real effort into it, and uh, and you know John Hurt went out you know in you know in fine fashion. This is you know this, this is the kind of performance that actors you know pray for when you know pray for when young, and he you know showed him how it's done. Well, you've shown you've shown him how it's done when he was young as well. That's true. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, unforgettable performances. John Merrick in the Elephant Man. Uh, it's a beautiful film. You know, yes. brilliant. You know, brilliant performance uh, in Alien, even though he was only on the screen for what about two minutes total. Yeah, and uh, I fin- I finally broke down, even though I I wasn't generally in the mood for. Apocalyptic. I finally watched him in 1984 a few days ago. Yeah, I watched that uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I actually watched that a couple of days after he passed um, because I I just got Sky Movies. I've just subscribed to Sky Movies for the next uh, ten months. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, they had um, a connection of John Hurt movies on there, so I I got that. And um, I even watched him in. Do you remember a movie with John Goodman called King Ralph? Yes, yes. He, he was in that. He played the uh, he played the, uh, the the corrupt politician who was from the House of Stuart who was trying to get back into back onto the throne by oh, discrediting cool. uh, right. by discrediting uh, King King Rouse so I claim to the throne, and he was fantastic in that. Even though that um, it's not a great film by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not a bad film either. It's sort of mm, just, yeah. just kind of a um, pitch somewhere down the middle. And, yeah. You know, and you had you know another Doctor Who connection. You had Kaminga Cordroy in that film playing King Ralph's girlfriend. Oh yes, that's right, that's right. You know, so, um, well, I I I watched that film, and it's it is a film I go back to every couple of years or so because I think it's just such a fun film, mm. um, especially if you're someone like myself that doesn't really have much love for the royal family. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> It's, it's a good film to watch from that oh. point of view. I mean, I, I kind of want King Ralph to take the throne. <laughs> Be more entertaining than, the, you know, the current lot we've got, you know. Uh-huh. Like, you know? Um, yeah. You know, it'd be an international incident every week. It'd be brilliant. 
<laughs> you know, in fact, they should actually, you know, replace our royal family and just get Donald Trump in to do it, you know. Oh, that, that, yeah. that would work. <laughs> um, so, should we move on to TV stuff now? Yeah, let's. let's. Okay, uh, should we go with Timeless first? Yeah, let's. That, that episode was actually really good until the cliffhangers. It was. I thought it was going to tie everything up. I actually thought um, they. I actually got to a point where I thought they know they've been cancelled, so they're tying everything up. And then you have the sudden revelation in the last minute and a half, um, where you have the uh, conversation between Lucy and her mum. Yes. And her mum says, "Written house would never get anything happen to me." And you know, but in a way, I think it has tied it up. Yeah. If you go back to the beginning of the series, she had a sister, right? And her yes. mum had an affair, which produced this, you know, this extra sprog. And she had a sister. Yeah. And then she started time travelling with the with the thing. And then she didn't have a sister. Uh-huh. So what if Rittenhouse was actually the creation of Lucy going back in time? Oh, so it's a, it's a loop. You know, that could be. Yeah, yeah kind, kind of like a loop and a paradox. But what if she actually caused Rittenhouse? That, that could work. They could have made that work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's 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 what that's the way I thought of it when you know a couple when when I started thinking about the uh, the, the finale and uh, the implications of it because Lucy's mother swears blind that you know she 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 never had a sister yeah sort of thing and you know and and the whole thing written house would never let, let, it, let it happen yeah you know so what if written house was kind of created out of Lucy going back in time or are sort of empowered somehow yeah. um, by, by the combination of both Flynn and Lucy going back in time. Yeah. Which sounds a bit complicated, but... <laughs> it, um, if if they got renewed, they could make it work in the long term. They, they could. It's, 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 it's feasible. It's feasible. And I, and I, and I have to say, um, cliffhangers aside, I was wondering if we were going to get a, a paradox because um, the setup was screaming paradox even before the finale, I was getting a sort of, you know, a tingling feeling after years of, you know, iterations of time travel stories. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my, my time travel spidey sense was starting to tingle and I was wondering if we were going to get, you know, some sort of loop or paradox situations. It, it's kind of interesting that because Timeless, it's been on the ratings bubble pretty much all season. Yeah. Um, it's not a popular show by any stretch of the imagination. I'd, 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 um, I'd actually say that it's universally sort of like not thought well of by by majority of the uh, audience, which is screaming out for more zombie fare and more sort of like uh, death, doom, and destruction, and 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 no more pulp. Sort of yeah, thing. yeah, um, I, uh, yeah. Part of the problem is, though, that the ratings would be okay for a season two or no if the show weren't as expensive as it is. Because mm-hmm. it's not cheap to recreate those time periods as well as they are. It, it's not, but what, what, what I was going to go on to say now is, uh, for me, uh, Timeless has actually been a pretty nice um, substitute for the lack of any Doctor Who this year. I was, was going to say, yeah. That's, that's yeah. kind of like... A, that's kind of like the void it's filled for me. And, you know, in, in some cases, it's actually been more entertaining than, than, than Doctor Who. 
yes. the, the modern yeah. series. Um, which you know brings brings me on to uh, my my next topic. Um, I think we could end up with a woman doctor. It could happen, and you know what? If they get a good actress, I could live with it. Well, do you know who the bookmaker's favorite is who? for a woman doctor? Who? Tilda Swinton. I hope it is. She is the logical choice. If they're going to do this, it kind of needs to be her. Uh, I can see. I can see. Uh, maybe uh, she wouldn't do it, but I can see Helen Mirren being good. Helen Mirren would be good, um, or that, or they get an up-and-comer in a Tilda Swinton vein, but they need to get somebody who can convey the alienness. And in terms of the existing actresses, Swinton is their best bet. Do you know who I could? You know who I think it is. Who? I think it's Missy. I think she's an ass doctor. They could do that. Um, because I, I'm thinking. Uh, remember Nongopolis when we when we had the uh, the Watcher? Yes, 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 yes. Whole, I was thinking. I was thinking that exact same thing. I think. Yeah. They, I think they. 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 You know, the reason we've got Missy is because you know she's going to be the next Doctor. You know, they they could actually do sort of like a Watcher scenario. Because yeah. the thing is, we don't know what happened to the master after after he died. He, he he went back into the time stream or something when he when when he had his uh, big old uh, battle with Rassilon. Yes. Sort of yes. Thing. So we we don't know how how he suddenly became female and 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 all that. So you know, it kind of it kind of make logical sense for for Missy to be the new Doctor. They could, they could do it, and it could and it could save them having to bring in somebody new. In fact, it might be the best way to go about it because she's already established and this would just be a different layer of the narrative. And she is good as Missy. Yes, she you is know, good as Missy. She's yeah. actually, you know, I think she's actually uh, nailed a role better than John Sim did. Yes, yes. She is the best modern uh, master. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and oh, I am. Um, so, yeah. And I, I appreciate that she's also a, a little bit calmer than Sim was because I've, I've, I've said before Male or female, I'm I'm very uh, over uh, hyperactive villains. I, I don't need it. Yeah, you know, hyperactive villains. Um, I can take on either. I prefer the classical, the classical moustache twirling villain, such as a master, the way Roger Delgado played it. Or he played he he, he and uh, Anthony Anley after him played that perfectly. That that to me is how you're supposed to play the master. Mm-hmm. Although, granted, Anthony Ainley wanted to play it a little more Roger, Roger Delgado-like, and he was told to go a little more panto with it. Um, but Roger, Roger Delgado is the mold, and they just need to find... And so far, uh, Michelle Gomez as Misty is, is as close to that as we've gotten to date. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, if, if she is some sort of watcher variant and they decide to you know, double up and keep her around that way, I'm, I'm actually all for it. And in terms of a female doctor, I'm all for it too thematically in that he's had so many female companions that if he imprinted on them collectively by eventually just switching genders, um, that would be actually a really, really awesome homage to them. I'm actually, you know, I, I'm, you know, the only way I'd be happy with a female doctor is if they did something like that, where they narrative, where, where they narratively explained it so it made sense, and they used an older actress. I yes. don't want, I don't want a twenty-something actress playing the playing the doctor, uh, no. because it wouldn't work. No, we, we, we saw them kind of test running that with some of the crap they did with Clara, and it just, it doesn't play. And it's all, there's, also the, uh, there's also the fact, uh, what's, what's her name now, the actress she played Peggy Carter, I forget, 
Hangy Atwell. Hell yeah. Hangy yes. Atwell was actually put a hat in the ring to be the doctor. I can't see her being a doctor, to be honest. No, she's a little young. She, she, it's not. It's not just that she's a little young. It's just something like she. She just doesn't have. The like uh, the type type of uh, char- charisma to play it, no. um, and also I think she's a little bit too too attractive. To mm. play it. I, I think it takes someone who's like uh, you know the thing is with Til- Tilda Swinton she's kind of she's got her own look. Say, yes. say, same as the um, as the lady that plays Missy, she's incredibly attractive, but again she's got her own look. She's not yes. she's not obvious. Yeah, and, I mean. and and David Tennant, David Tennant, and Matt Smith, while being attractive younger men, were not attractive in a standard way. Either of them. Yeah, they, they weren't classically good looking, sort of thing. No, but they 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 were good looking in the sense of that they, they had their own thing going on. Yes, the only classically handsome doctor we've had is McGann, bless his heart. Um, but that's only because he was the doctor for the American crossover audience in the 96 movie, and his performance was the only part of that that even worked. Well, at the same time, McGann is a damn good actor. You know, you could, you could actually give yeah. him any role, and 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 he, he'll nail it. I mean, I, yes. I watch his brother, his older brother, and there's a show we have over here called, called Midwife. It's a bit of a guilty pleasure, because it's mm. really, really sappy and um, soapy and... It's about it's about the uh, the midwives in the uh, nineteen late nineteen fifties early nineteen sixties, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and the the beginnings of the post war deal. It's actually the very early days of the NHS and, and and so forth. But it's it's really interesting to watch from 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 the from a social history point of view, mm-hmm. sort of thing. But it's really really sappy and. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know it. They air it here on PBS. I don't. I don't watch it. I, and, I prefer and, other shows, but and, I know of it. And, yeah. and it's quite manipulative as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I'm watching it, and I'm fully aware that they're they're they're, they're manipulating me. <laughs> I, I just know. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, sort of like um, um, Paul McGann, McGann's older brother, is in that. He plays the uh, he plays the local GP. Oh, okay, cool. Sort of thing, and uh, you know. And he he's just as he's just as you know he, he's as good as his you know he's a damn good actor as well. Mm-hmm. They they all are the McGann brothers. <laughs> they should have more play Doctor Who, I think. That would actually be interesting. I mean, to end up with you know an entire family of actors, you know, so they could be different and the same, literally. Yeah, yeah. It'd be an interesting dichotomy to sort of like see see how 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 the other brothers would do it versus how Paul McGann did it. Mm. You know, <laughs> it'd be quite funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but um, how do we get onto Dot Two from Timeless? I don't know. Yeah, you you were saying that uh, Timeless was actually a little better than some of modern Doctor Who. That was it. Yeah, I think I think it was. I mean, not the last season because the last season, I think uh, Stephen Moffat, with the exception of sort of like screwing the pooch on the whole Knara, uh t- time timeline story and the Impossible Gill bullshit. I thought yeah. the last season was really good. I especially the, loved the episode where the Doctor was on his own for the entire episode. That that, that episode justified the modern series in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, the, the thing is, the standalone elements throughout the modern series have been awesome. Uh, where the modern series has fallen apart has been the arcs. And this has been the case pretty much throughout. They need to just stop doing arcs in the modern series. Because mm-hmm. everything, everything else is fine. You know, standalone stuff is absolutely fine. 
I mean, the arcs work for the, you know, throughout the, uh, I'd say the arcs work throughout the, 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 the Tenant era. Ah. But they did start to fall apart towards the latter part of the Tenant era into the eggy part of the Matt Smith era. Mm, yeah. That's when it started to go a bit wrong, I think. And, then, and, then, and if they're going to... They need to stop making the companions extra special snowflakes with destinies. Mm. And they need to start making, making the companions... Uh, having companions come from different planets and different time periods as well. Oh, sweet Jesus, yes, thank you. You know, Please. because... I, I'm kind of sick to death of the uh, of of the of the companion being a millennial. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. I mean, what's wrong with having um, a couple of older companions? You know, we, you had school teachers in the original. Yes. Yes. Right? And and my and they've got some some lovely older companions in Big Finish. In fact, one of my favorite companions is. A big Finnish companion who only had a one season arc. Her name is Aramem. I think I've talked to her about it. I talked about mm-hmm. it before. Uh, she was an uncrowned female Egyptian pharaoh. Wow. Who start <clears throat> who starts her arc in ancient Egypt and ends her arc uh, as the queen of Peladon. Cool. And it's an absolutely lovely arc. And when she finishes as the queen of Peladon, we actually end up because this was before they knew whether or not they were going to reinclude uh, Sutek. In the big finish stuff, um, this was before they could get Gabriel Wolf back in. Talking of which, there's another Sutek adventure coming out. I know, I know. With the Fourth Doctor, I'm totally looking forward to that. <laughs> but yeah, before they knew whether they were going to get get Gabriel Wolf back or not, they actually uh, in Aramem's final adventure, before she became Queen of Peladon, they introduced one of Sutek's sisters. Ah. And she was a piece of work. Yeah. Yeah, she she made Sutek look sedate. Cool, sounds like my ideal babe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she the sort uh, of girl yeah. you could take home to mom. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you want, if you want me to, I'll, I'll put the I'll put the adventure in um in in, uh, in Dropbox. For oh me. no 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 no! Don't, don't do that. I'll 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 probably have a look for it for myself because I don't think I've. I don't think I really have a great deal of time to listen to it anyway at the moment. Oh. Like, everything that's going okay, on. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, anyway, it's called, it's called The Bride of Peladon and it's quite wonderful. But yeah, it's sort of like, it's, it's just really cool. Uh, and it's strange that Big Finish seems to be knocking out of the park as far as Doctor Who is concerned when compared to the TV series. But I think the problem is, is the TV series, they're, they're trying so, so hard to make it appealing to an American audience. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think that's a problem. Um, mm-hmm. You know that they're, they're, they're looking to aim it at, at the American audience. Hence the episode being forty two minutes in length, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's partly the problem. Um, the, the the other part of the problem is the uh, is, is they're not taking chances on the companions and sort of like keeping the companions um, as people from the twenty first century. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they, they kind of need to change it up a little bit. Um, may, may, maybe may, maybe Chris Chibnall will. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's the point. So you know, maybe, we, have, we have to see. I will, while this is all logical from a structural standpoint, I will miss Capaldi very, very much. Because while I have issues with the writing in his era, 
Um, I do not have issues with him. I regard him as my as my as my as my modern doctor. So. Yeah, I I think he's been awesome. I, I I really do. I think he's been absolutely brilliant. Um, and somewhat underappreciated by the uh, by the mainstream fandom as well. Yeah, I. The thing is, I I love having the show back. Lifelong Doctor Who fan. I'll probably watch it till I'm ninety eight. Um. But having it back has been a double-edged sword. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm the same, but I'll probably watch it till I'm 198. <laughs> because I've just got to have one up on you, Ring, you know. <laughs> it's, just, it's just one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, m- moving on, um, another show that I've been watching that you haven't is uh, MacGyver. Mm, I've got a, f- a, few, a few episodes. I knew it wasn't for me when, when they introduced their excuse for Murdoch. Yeah, I mean, there's that, and there's also the uh, the Jack Dalton character who's just irritating. Oh yeah. You know, I'm trying find I'm I'm actually trying to I'm, I'm actually finding it hard to differentiate between the Jack Dalton secret agent character who's got a Bruce Willis complex and listens to Wigan Nelson and Bowser. And uh-huh. to be honest, I think Bowser's actually beginning to come off as slightly less annoying. You know, now that he's actually a part of the team, sort of thing. Yeah. And, and Ryan, she shouldn't really be there because no. you know MacGyver can hack computers. Yes. yes. You know MacGyver would be able to do that. So, yeah. You know my my problem with the series it's not it's not that it's a reboot as such it's the way they've rebooted it it's it's, it's a structural thing you've got yeah, you've got too many it's, characters. It's, it's too vanilla. It's too vanilla. It's too like every other team show. It shouldn't even be a team show. It shouldn't, you know. The, the show's called MacGyver. Yeah. You know that 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 pretty much explains the endemic problem of the new series. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I wouldn't mind so much if Jack Bowser and Ryan were recurring characters that I could go to every now and again for help, like 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 he did like in the original series sort of thing. Yeah. But having them all, there every week. All, all of the characters were recurring ex- except for for Pete. Yeah, so oh. Pete was constant throughout, and uh, but then and and but then again, Pete never had that much screen time in each episode. It was just enough to establish that there was a relationship, a strong friendship between him and MacGyver, which had been built up over time. Because I mean, the the thing is, they brought this new character in called Matty, who's uh-huh. played by I can't remember the name name of the actress off the top of my head now, but she's a yeah, you know, she she's sort of like um, she's she's very very small in stature, uh-huh. but very very big in personality, and you know, and and the character of Matty initially I didn't like her, yeah, because I thought I I actually thought she was going to play the same sort of like role she was playing in Boston Legal because everything was leaning that way to to her sort of like you know being um, extremely extrovert sort of thing. Whereas uh-huh. she settled in the second episode I seen her in. She seemed settled, sort of thing, and, and there was a few layers coming out to do with her character. And and she's actually done more in three episodes in terms of character development than the uh, actress that played Patricia Thornton did in <clears throat> in the twelve episodes that she had. And and she's actually, you know, I can actually see, I can actually envisage her being the the new version of Pete Thornton because the relationship between her and MacGyver has a very very similar arc. To the relationship between Pete and MacGyver in the first series, because if you remember, <clears throat> Pete wasn't exactly initially trustful of MacGyver to begin with. You know, he was a bit in awe of the fact that he was a genius, sort of thing, but he was also a little bit 
um, sort of like apprehensive about the fact that MacGyver improvised so much. Yeah, yeah. And and um, you know her, you know Pat, uh, Matty's arc with MacGyver is actually mirroring that. Yeah. So yeah. I think now would be the time to sort of like you know stick Ryanie on um, at, um, um, in 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 computer analytics somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know have Bowser do whatever he's doing somewhere else. And, mm. and send Jack into the middle of Iraq and make him stand on a landmine or something. Oh um, and and just sort of like make the show, centre it around MacGyver, but have the only other character be this Matty character. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and they 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 could actually carry on the series that way. Uh, they could. And I think it'd probably be more successful. I think what trouble is the they've got the one of the same producers who who worked on NCIS Los Angeles is actually heading up the production of this new series. Oh, um, Henry Winkler and David Lee Zlatoff, whatever is, how, however it's pronounced, who who actually did the uh, original series, I think they're more more of a consulting role. I don't think they've got quite as much power as you you may think they have uh, on the development of the series. But the good news I, is there is there is actually talk about a MacGyver movie. Cool. Cool. That I'd watch. That I'd watch. I'm a bit concerned about that because I've just seen the uh, trailer for the new Chips movie, mm. and the new Chips movie looks like they're actually playing playing up the comedic farce farcical element as opposed to the uh, you know Chips was kind of like a night a night drama, mm. but it was never intentionally funny. It was just sort of like funny because of the time it was set and the uh, the period and and the way television dramas were made back then. Yeah, yeah, sort of thing. Um, but they're they're actually playing up the uh, comedy element, and I'm just hoping that they don't make a MacGyver movie where where they're kind of you know doing it sort of like MacGruber, mm. you know. Um, I mean, personally, I think they would have been better off with this MacGyver reboot having it be uh, a relative to the original MacGyver. I I kind of assumed that that's what we were getting until I found out otherwise. So that, that's what I that's what I'd assume because. It was actually talk about um, a female MacGyver for quite a while, and I thought, mm, okay, that'd be interesting. Uh, talking of which, um, in terms of eighties television, there, there there is actually movement on a, a new Magnum PI series. I saw that they're thinking they're going to be they're trying to do it with uh, they because they introduced his daughter in the final episode. Yeah, so they're going to do it with a um, with a female Magnum PI. Um, yeah. With a with a handlebar mustache. Uh huh. And um, and a Stetson, <laughs> and cowboy boots, and a wine shirt. <laughs> so you know, just you know, it's basically going to be a female Magnum PI with a handlebar mustache and an incredibly bad dress sense. <laughs> <laughs> and and she's going to play it straight, e- uh-huh. even though she's she's dressed. Um, her her sense of dress completely contradicts her playing it straight. Um, that'd be interesting. That'd be like a female Doctor Who, but. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. Um, so, anything else you want to talk about? Legends? Yeah, I gotta say, I really loved this last Legends episode. Um, they figured themselves out this season. Indeed, they have. I mean, um, you know, the last Legends uh, was they they've now got they've now got a uh, ripping custody, and um, he he's actually talking to Gideon. Yes, because because they they forgot to take the you know. Follow Rip's orders uh, mandate out of Gideon's programming because <laughs> mm. they didn't because they, did, they, they didn't realize that this was going to come up. Um, yeah, 
this this rips arc i was i was i was uh, i found out recently that rips arc the reason that this is playing out the way it is is because arthur dargle uh had scheduling issues he had to finish Broadchurch. yeah I, I knew that um you know i actually knew that a while back um ironically Broadchurch is actually starting up again here in the uk mm. oh, i think it already has started up again because i, I don't actually watch it so i don't know um, what I, I I watch it. What I, I find fascinating is that he the reason they were in such a rush to get it finished is because it's a Chris Chindle show, and he had to finish out and make this the final season of Broadchurch so that he could move over to Doctor Who. I don't know. So, I don't know if you find this of any comfort, but Chris Chibnall, when um, he actually showrunned the entire second season of Torchwood. Yeah. That there, there, there was enough there that worked that I, I, yeah, that that would work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, I mean, you know, so there's a, because there's a lot of people who who feel Chibnall is a bit of an un, an unseen entity, but you know, I, I I'm aware of, of of the work that he did on on the second season of Torchwood, and um, and I think he did a pretty damn good job, really, considering that. You know, the only way to go with the second season of Torchwood after the first season was up. Yes. Yeah. Because the first, the first season the first, was kind the first of, season was just yeah. It's here, there, and all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, yeah. I mean, he, he had to finish Broadchurch, as you say, in order so I could get ready to start doing Doctor Who. Yeah, and so that kind of uh, that kind of threw everybody's everybody's schedule off because they were in a bit of a rush. I just find it so fascinating that the scheduling issues with Broadchurch came up, came up. It relative to the show Arthur Darnold just left, mm-hmm. you know. So this was it's all it all ties back to Doctor Who. Yeah, but I don't think he really left Legends of Tomorrow, didn't he? he just saw like he he basically had to um, fulfill out fulfill his contract with Broadchurch and, yeah, and go back yeah. to Legends. Yeah, I mean, but to be honest, I, I think the um, I think the addition of Steel yeah. has actually worked. It it took took a little time for him to establish himself, but as soon as he got the Steel sort of thing. I've I've loved his I've loved his back and forth friendship with uh, you know with 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 um, Palmer Ray Palmer yes Ray Palmer <clears throat> the, the the tag team of those two is awesome it's really yeah. wonderful and and it really paid off in the George Lucas episode it it did because they were both geeks <laughs> yes. one, one of them was Raiders of the Lost Ark the other one was Star Wars yeah <laughs> I thought that was just so like uh, so so cool. Um, but you know, and, and I think I think Sarah Nance leading the team has actually worked out really well. Um, yes, and I yeah, I'm I'm very curious. I mean, once they get Rip back, once they sort him out to the extent that they've rejiggered his brain back to where it was, it's going to be interesting to see to what extent they can reintegrate him into the team and still maintain the current dynamic because mm-hmm. the, the current dynamic um, has shown real growth. It has. I mean, I, I, you know, even Mick Rory's evolved this year. I mean, so I, I kind of enjoyed the. Uh, the bits where Vitson's trying to get him to go straight, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I've also enjoyed the uh, the moment where you know S- Professor Stein uh, stolen that <laughs> stolen that thing from the year three thousand. Yes, and he's like, "What did you steal? <laughs> what did you steal? You had a sixth sense." Funny. I thought it was just so cool. Yes. Yeah. No, I think. It's very interesting, but I, because I, I, I didn't know what they were going to do with Heatwave, and what are they going to do with Heatwave became the storyline. Mm-hmm. The fact that the fact that he evolved became the storyline, and um, Dominic Purcell has absolutely sold all of it, 
and I he he is one of those characters that um, that, that justifies the series as a whole. Also, it actually justifies how good of an actor Dominic Purcell actually is. Because if you, he's crazy good, he's crazy you, good. If you think about it, Dominic Purcell, um, his breakout role was Prison Break. Mm. But if you think about it even further, in Prison Break, he was very, very, very much in the shadow of Wentworth Miller's character. Yes, you he, saw his second fiddle to that. So he never really got his moment to shine. And and I think Legends of Tomorrow has actually given him that, you know, in, yes. in the second season. It's actually shown shown us how damn good of an actor Dominic Purcell actually is. Yes. You know? And I have to say, all of the actors on Legends are awesome um, because they've even made, you know, some of the weaker scripts work. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is this is a this is a this is a, a largely stellar cast that they've gotten all around. And. And um, my another favorite is um, is um, is is Martin Stein, you know, and, and Victor Garber is Martin Stein, who you know is I love that he's given been given a chance to um, shine in such a multifaceted role because this is even more than he was asked to do on Alias. Yeah, and um, you know, also he, he was in that uh, show with uh, oh god, what's his name now? The, the Scottish bloke that plays Sherlock Holmes in Elementary, uh, John E. Minger. He, he was in that show with John E. Minger where John E. Minger played the guy that was um, sort of like. Uh, oh, Eli, was that Eli Stone? I think I saw bits and pieces of that. Yeah. Yeah, Eli Stone. I, I actually watched the whole series of that. I quite enjoyed that. It was kind of night night drama dramedy relief sort of thing. Um, Kind of cheered me up that show because it was a bit mad. <laughs> um, but the Victor uh, Garber was good in that as well um, because he played Eli Stone's boss. Mm. You know, he, he was good in that. I mean, he's good in whatever he, whatever he's in. But I'd love to see them do with uh, with, with, with 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 Legends of Tomorrow is somehow have this Professor Stein meet up with an evil Professor Stein from a parallel universe. That would be cool. That, that, you that know, because be. Victor Garber's the sort of actor that could pull it off. It'd be brilliant to see. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I would like to see is, and this is, and this is just because I'm all for um, more female roles, I would love to see Clarissa Stein get more screen time because we've, we've heard from, we've heard from Martin we've heard from the daughter that the daughter that wasn't, but now is Lily. Mm-hmm. And we haven't, we haven't heard from Clarissa very much. And she's played by a lovely actress named Isabella Hoffman who can in fact act. And, she, and they, and they basically had her be a potted plant. So I'm hoping that as the series progresses, she turns into um, a cactus. Yeah. She actually does something, you know, useful. Uh-huh. It's quite funny while we're talking about this. Um, the boat that rocked is on the TV at the moment, and it's the scene where uh, Reese Ithens and um, what's the name of the, the actor, Philip Seymour Hoffman, are climbing up the rigging and having, mm. that, and having that, you know, sort of like penis measuring contest with each other. Oh, okay. Quite a funny scene. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen a boat that rocked. It's it's quite a funny film. Mm. I don't think I have. Um, it's it's basically about it, it's it's loosely based on Radio Caroline from nineteen sixties, which uh. was a, a pirate radio station, which eventually evolved into Radio One uh. here in the UK. Um, but you know, so like it's it's quite a funny film. It's a parody of that. Uh. But Reese Siffins and Philip Seymour Hoffman, two great actors. Uh. Uh, anyway, should we call this an end to the show because I'm getting off subject? Yeah, I think I think we're. 
I think we've said everything. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know when we're going to have another show just yet, but I do know that Matt's has quite a few episodes of Genretainment uh, in in the works. Um, but we'll be back um, as soon as we can be with more more exciting interviews and uh, and conversations. So for now, uh, thanks for listening and thanks to Risa for joining me as always. Oh, you're welcome. Um, that's a wrap.